You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I am your co-host, PJ Pastor Josh, man with the plan. And I'm just, I have no plan today. I'm winging it, <laughs> winging it. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm with my, uh, I'm with actually my co-host and a sidekick, Pastor Gus. So you hear him chuckling in the background. I've noticed you've turned your hat around. So we, we're filming a few of these in a row and it's getting to this point where it's game time. It's game time. Yeah. I very seldom ever wear a hat. You know why I don't wear a hat? This, I mean, this extra takes. Why? <laughs> so, because I love playing golf. Okay, yeah. And so I've watched golf, I mean, for, I mean, decades. Sure. And so I've seen these these men who wear hats for years and bald. decades, and they go bald. Yep. So I'm like, I don't want to go bald. See, undoubtedly, Gus, he is, he's worn a lot of hats, you know. So, <laughs> so seriously, that's why I don't wear a lot of hats is that I want my hair, and which that, that could be a myth. I don't know. But I just, again, it's, it's seared into my brain that these guys go bald. And so I'm like, you know what? Uh, I will let my hair breathe if if that's what it takes not to go bald. So, but I'm sure you love this family and friends to hear all of these extra takes. But we have a special episode today, don't we, Matt? Yes. We do. Yeah. So, um, uh, a couple weeks ago we did a replay. We're going to do another replay for you. Um, a few weeks back we did the replay of the most recent night of worship, where we heard about the values and some high level goals. We also heard about um, four things that we can do to prepare our hearts and our posture for revival. So if you haven't listened to that, we would encourage you to do that. But today we'd like to reflect back and listen from something last year. Uh, During the first night of worship in 2022, all the way back to May, Pastor Josh, you laid out some expectations. Um, You laid out what we can expect from you and you laid out what you can expect from us. So uh, before we, we listen to that, it's about 25 minutes of the teaching, just want to ask you, almost a year later, what do you want us to know about that, that night and that teaching? Man, I've been wanting, I have been wanting them to, and I say them, like our communications team, to release this. Mm. Because it was it was so important what God had put on my heart to share. Because again, that was our first night of worship. Yeah, I had only been here just a little over a month, mm. and so I think it's so important. Like because something that I've seen in leadership for years is a lack of expectations or clarity to expectations, and so so expectations. They, they, they need to be shared so that you can know what to expect from someone and then what that someone expects from you. Because a lot of times in marriage this happens is that yeah. you, might, you might get really upset at your spouse because they don't unload the dishwasher. I know I used that as an example sure. a couple of weeks ago in a message. Yeah. And so now they might get mad because they have this expectation when the dishes are clean and you're there, you unload. But but you cannot get mad if you've never clarified your expectation. So, so a lot of times in church world, 
there might be expectations that that members or attenders have of the pastor that they've never shared. Hmm. And and so definitely share them. If you have an expectation, share, and we can kind of process that together. But I definitely shared expectations like this is what you can expect from me of the kind of pastor yeah. that that you can expect that I will be. But But I want to lay out... Here are the expectations that I actually have for you yeah. as the as the senior pastor, and so I think that's important because I'm I'll constantly come back to those expectations, and then and then I actually share some some big when I say some big vision items, and these big vision items is what I see the the church, the big C church, and so so local churches, right? This is what we need to keep in mind in the 21st century. And so that's where I'm like, man, I'd love to replay this every year, every year. So Lord willing, I'll be here for, you know, 25. You say, what's 25 years? Uh, you know, it, well, it's when I'm 65. So I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll actually be, I would be younger than Gus, you know. At, yeah. It, well, you'd be, yeah, you'd say, I think that's the way it works. You still would be older. Yeah. <laughs> that's, but, uh, you know, so by that time, you, you know, when I'm 65, I, you know, I, I definitely would want to be looking at who, who my my successor, my successor will be, but I think this, these are expectations mm-hmm. and a vision that I think will stand the test of my time. If if the Lord will, you know, if Lord if Lord willing, mm. I'm I'm able to to make it in 25 years. Wonderful. So, well, you guys are in for a treat. Enjoy. This is a fun listen. So, without further ado, um, enjoy listening to this replay of the teaching during Northland's first night of worship all the way back May 2022 of last year. Enjoy. It's okay to say crap. <laughs> no, um, LaDonna, Skylar, thank, thank you for sharing. And, and I really wanted, I wanted this to be like a Northland thing and, 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 and us making much of Jesus and not just me. So that's the reason why we wanted other people to speak of what God has done from the younger generation of what they're seeing, because that is Northland. So here's what I want to do. I only have just a, a, just a few moments, and so I'm going to kind of get right into it. So before I give you kind of some high-level vision, I want to give you expectations. Like one of the things that I learned years ago in my marriage is setting clear expectations for what Joni can expect of me what I can expect of Joni, and it really made a healthier marriage and a healthier relationship. So let me go ahead and give you some expectations. Here is what you can expect from me. I'm going to point you to Jesus. I'm just going to point, I'm just going to point you to him. Uh, I'm going to call you just as Jesus has called me to his standard. Now, I, and I want you to think about that. So not only am I going to point you to him, But in pointing you to him, I'm going to point you to his standard. Not what the standard is of another church right down the street. Not what some some person's standard is on the book that they wrote. I'm going to point you to Jesus' standard. Because the last I checked, he has a pretty high standard. And we're not going to water his standard because of our brokenness. Because he came down to reach and get us to bring us back to where he is, not for us to keep him just down here where we are. All right, so I'm gonna point, point you to Jesus. Number two, I'm going to be a man under authority. I truly believe that. Like, I don't wanna be a rogue pastor. 
I believe we all should be living under authority. Like when you look at even what does it mean to be part of the body of Christ, what you are ultimately doing is surrendering to the authority that God has put over you, the pastors. And so for me, I want to be a man that is under authority because I need authority in my own life. One of the things, and uh, since we have uh, the Gen Zers with, with us and, and, and some millennials in the room, one of the things, have you, ever, have you ever wondered why the Lord tells you to honor your father and mother for you will live long in the land? You ever thought about that? Like, here's the reason why he, he asked you to honor your father and mother. Because if you cannot learn to live under the authority of your father and mother, you'll never be able to live under the authority of God. And parents, why you ooing? <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> I'm so glad you have a sense of humor. I really am. (laughs) But if you can't learn to live under the authority of the Lord, you'll never reproduce them living under the authority of the Lord after they get out of your house. So we are all under authority, and so you can expect that I will be a man under the authority, and more specifically, under the authority of the governing elders. Number three, here's what you can expect. This is a good one. I'll disappoint you. Which is why I'll continue to point you to Jesus. <laughs> but, but, but in that, I want you to know, uh, you will never expect more from me than what I expect from myself. But I'll disappoint you. And, and one of the things that, I, and the kind of pastor that I want to be is, I really do want to be authentic because I don't have it all together. I hope and pray that I'm mature in Christ, but I, that doesn't mean I have it all together. And so, so I'll disappoint you, which is why I'll point you to Jesus. Number four, I'll love you. Like, you can expect that. Like, I'll love you. And I'll be accessible. Regardless of how many people Northam would ever have, if I cannot be an accessible pastor then I have not reflected an accessible God. If I cannot be, I will, I will, sister, I will. (laughs) (laughs) But regardless, if if we run 20, 30, 40, 50,000, I don't know what God's going to do. I got another little point here later on, but... But if I cannot be an accessible pastor, I have not reflected an accessible God. And the last I checked, anybody can access him. And then the last expectation that you can have of me is I literally will give my all to present you mature in Christ. I will give my everything in the studying and the preparation for preaching and teaching. And I think as you've seen already, I I give it my all when I preach. I really do. 
And so I, I really will give it my all to present every one of you, just as Paul says in Colossians, mature in Christ. So that's, that's what you can expect from me. Now here's my expectations for you. You ready? Okay. Uh, number one, I want you to fight for unity. We live in a day and age, especially you can see it over the last two years, we fight each other on everything but for unity. Well, you closed. You, you made us wear masks. You, I mean, now I'm not saying you did that. I saw that in Illinois. You probably didn't do that. Probably didn't. <laughs> but the church is notorious for fighting each other other on matters of preferences, not matters of unity. And the last I checked, John 17, Jesus prays that we may be one. And it is our oneness and our unity that literally displays our witness to the world. So the very first expectation I have of you is fight for unity. And that's part of it as we walk through this, you know, this season of transition and we're processing changes and all of that, I want us to hold unity at the core. Number two, give grace. So I want you to fight for unity, but I want you to give grace. Give, give people the benefit of the doubt. You do realize that we live in a culture where there's not a lot of you know, benefit of the doubt given. We just immediately assume the worst of people. But as the church, let us give grace and assume the best. And I know that's hard. I really do. I know that's hard. But let's do that and be quick to forgive. Because that's part of extending grace. Being quick to forgive. Number third, number three. Um, don't make church about you. Church, church, is, church is about he and we, not me. And so my third expectation is don't make church about you. And in that, learn to distinguish between personal preferences and gospel and biblical priorities. Don't elevate your personal preferences to biblical and spiritual priority. We're not Burger King. They, they, may have cha- they may have changed their saying. I don't know if it's have it your way right away now. I don't, maybe that, was in the, that was in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Maybe they changed it. Maybe they got more postmodern. I, I don't know. But, but church isn't Burger King. Like, you, you know, like... You can't go to Chick-fil-A. We're not a Chick-fil-A where you can tell them to hold the pickles, all right? That's a preference. It's not a gospel or biblical priority. Well, it sure is. No, it's it's not. It's a pickle. It's a pickle. (laughs) Number number four, uh, be a champion and towel holder for Northland. Be a champion and a towel holder for Northland. The last expectation, this is a fun one. Here it is. Dream big. Dream big. One of the things that I love, I love telling 
churches. If it's not bigger than us, it's too small for God. So let's not box God in. Let's surrender and say, God, what do you want to do? Because if it's not bigger than us, it's too small. For who? God. So those are my expectations for you. Now on to vision. I got seven big buckets and I'm going to give them to you real quick. Number one, here, big, big bucket number one, God is on mission. Very, first and foremost, God is on mission. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, God is on mission. And what is his mission? His mission is to redeem a people from all peoples to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. You see that in the garden. You fast forward, you see that in Israel. You fast forward, you see that in the church. You fast forward and you see that in the new creation, in the new heavens and the new earth, where we will be his people, he will be our God, we will live there in the new city Jerusalem forever and ever and ever, doing life. Not, not playing some harp on a cloud, but doing life. And so God has always been on mission to bring heaven to earth in the form of a kingdom and a people that would embody him, that would reflect him in all of life, which leads me to this. A church's definition of mission will determine her scope of ministry. If you narrow in on mission and just say it's just evangelism, that's all the church will do. Now, here's the thing. Evangelism is part of mission, which is why, here's my definition of evangelism. It is inviting people into the good new story of King Jesus who is in the process of making all things new. That is the definition of evangelism. We are inviting people. We are proclaiming the king that he has come through his death and resurrection. He has inaugurated the kingdom and he invites all, all to come in. Regardless of your race, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your social economic background, he invites everyone into his story of recreation and of redemption. And so as, as part of the mission of God, we are evangelizing, inviting people into that good news story. And so the scope though of God's mission, it is, it is comprehensive. It's, it's total. Like if you think about it this way, one, one scholar that I, I love uh, reading, Albert Walters, he says this, the scope of redemption is as great of that as the fall. So if the fall damaged every area of life, what is Jesus doing through his death and resurrection? Redeeming every area of life. So God is on mission, number two. So that means that we will be a church on mission. Uh, number two, uh, here we go there, Gen Zers. You ready for this one? Young people are the present and future. Uh, now a church that struggles to reach what I would call generation now will be the church that struggles in the future. And if you, if you look at movements throughout church history, they were almost always led by young people. Now, but that doesn't mean that the older generation becomes generation past. Okay? So that's not what I mean by that. So don't take that and go, well, he's, he doesn't care about me. No, 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 no. Like, I, we, we need you. We need each other. Because as, as Psalm 145 talks about us, how the older generation declares to the younger generation the marvelous works of the Lord. Yeah. 
And so one of the things that I, I really, and I've, I've shared this with many people, I was born in 1982. Now, for some of you, I'm old. For some of you, I'm just a young whippersnapper. I get it. <laughs> But there are some sociologists that talk about those who were born between 1976 and 1984. They're the bridger generation. I truly believe that God has called me for such a time as this is to bridge the generational gap of Gen Xers and and boomers to millennials and Gen Z and even Generation Alpha coming up. Number three, what I see in the church today, this is a big bucket that we, we need to embrace, and that is the theology of suffering. We don't know how to suffer well. One of the things that I had to, I had to look deep within years ago when I was going through some, some, some very hurtful, toxic situations at a church, I'm like, all I do want to do is just love Jesus. Why, am I, why, do, I keep, why do I keep getting hurt? And I read Philippians 3.10 that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. You do realize that when we suffer in this world, we are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus because we didn't get new life until he went through death. And so, and that's one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul when he writes in 2 Corinthians, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Listen, we, we are in the birth pain, so we're going to suffer, and we need to suffer well because we are the only body in the world that can suffer well, where people look and go, why aren't you railing? Why aren't you mad or angry? Why aren't you just getting a... Because our God suffered and rose from the dead. We can go through anything. Number four, we need to recover the distinction of holiness. The church has lost her holiness. And I do think that it's, it's actually because we are, I say we, church in general, I think they're struggling because they know that they are becoming irrelevant. But to become relevant, you don't lower the standards of Jesus. Ephesians 1.4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so, let's hold up the standard of holiness. Number five, this is a fun one. We need to develop a robust, exilic theology. He's like, that's a big word, exilic. Uh, Exile. Uh, you do realize that the church is just strangers and sojourners in America. I think we're finally waking up to the realization that this isn't our home. I think maybe for really probably since the inception of America, many Christians thought, hey, this is our home and we're building heaven on earth. No, no, no. It's coming. Jesus got to come back. He's going to consummate the new heavens and the new earth. So this isn't our home. And I think we're kind of realizing that. And so we're going to have to develop a robust, exilic theology. And here's the way I like to, I like to say it. We need to learn to live as exiles in a divided democracy. And not contribute to the division in the democracy. Now that's tough. That's a lot of mess in there. And I'm not going to, you know, iron that out tonight. I'm just telling you what we need to do. <laughs> But, but I, I, I will say this, though. If you read Jeremiah 29, this is pretty cool. He tells, uh, God tells the exiles there in Babylon, 
He says, I want you to seek the shalom. I want you to seek the total flourishing of the city in which I sent. Do you realize what city he sent them to? Babylon. The, the, the people that took their little babies and dashed them against the rocks. That, that people. Because in Psalm 137, they, they sat down by the river singing a song of lament of how the Babylonians destroyed their babies, how the Babylonians took them from their homeland. But yet he says, I want you to seek the shalom, the total flourishing of the Babylonians. And so when you look at shalom and seeking the, the shalom of even a democracy or uh, whether you, you know, people live in Russia or Iran, when you talk about seeking the shalom of where God has us as exiles, there is a partnering piece to it. I want you to think about this. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego partnered with Nebuchadnezzar for the common good of Babylon. But then there was a preservative piece. They tried to preserve life there in Babylon. And then there was a proclamation piece where they all, they all told Nebuchadnezzar, you're not the one true God, Yahweh is. And if you want to put us in the furnace for that, so be it. So there, there, there's that, that, that's just a, just a snippet of an exilic theology. Number six, I only got two more and I'm done. Number six, here's what we got to do. Church, this is what we have to do. We have to define what the church is once again. You know, in the pandemic when I was in Wheaton, Illinois, and everything shut down, you would hear pastors and church leaders talk, well, the churches, and, and, and 90, 94% of the churches ceased worship, physical worship gatherings. And so you kept on hearing, well, that the church isn't closed. And one of the things that I would say is that an element of the church was closed. See, what, what has happened, we, we are so driven pragmatically and practically and not theologically that we are even distorting the definition of church when crisis happens. One of the elements of the church is the gathering of the people of God. And so one of the things that we, we have to do as we go forward into the 21st century, we have to define what the church is and to hold it before the people. And then one of the things that I love about what the church is, is the church is family. We are called the household of God. So you can look around, we are brothers and sisters. And then the last, and this is, A really important point for me is that we're going to honor the past. We're going to honor the past of Northland. I'll honor the previous pastors that have gone on before me. I will honor Matt Hurd. I will honor Joel Hunter. But we're going to honor the past without hindering the future. And Pastor Gus is going to talk about this in a couple of weeks with the transition between Moses and Joshua. And one of the greatest ways that we honor the past without hindering the future is just know this, the direction of the past will really be the continuity of the, of the future. Like with Moses, think about it, he, he didn't get to lead them into the promised land, but that's where he was headed. And then when Joshua assumed leadership, guess where he was headed? To the promised land, it was just different leadership. And so what they had to do is the best way to honor the past is to continue to seize the future in which God has for us. And so that's what we'll do. We'll honor the past without hindering us seizing what God has for us in our future. Northland, man, this is a new season. 
And I couldn't be more excited. I should, and I, I told a group of, I've told every kind of group of leader this, uh, that I've actually had the opportunity to, to share in front of. I, I shouldn't be here. Over a year ago, I was offered another job. And I was about to take it in Monterey, California. Golf Mecca in the US. <laughs> I even got to play Pebble Beach. The pastor took me there. I was going to be a successor at a very large church in Monterey, California. God did some things. I was ready to sign the dial line, but God was working behind the scenes. And you can thank, you can thank Miss Joni when you see her, but she didn't have the peace to say yes. And I actually had to grieve that. And I asked her, I said, well, babe, if the Lord calls us back into local church ministry, where would you be comfortable in moving? She said, anywhere in the Southeast and anywhere in the Orlando metro area where we could be next to Disney and the beach. Literally, she said that because she's so spiritual. And so I said, okay, okay. I saw one church that fit that I thought, I saw one church that I thought fit me and fit her. And that was Northland. And I put in for it. The next day I get an email from the slingshot guy. He's like, hey, I love what you sent in. Think you might be a good fit, but we are, they are far down the line. So I'll let you know if anything happens. That was around March of 2021. I completely forgot. My boss at the time, yeah, he's still my boss. <laughs> I guess no, no, he's not my boss anymore. I, I stopped that. I'm no, no longer getting paid at Wheaton College. So he's not my boss anymore. But at the time he was my boss. And he's like, hey, listen, are you going to keep looking for churches or are, are you done? Because I need to know if you're going to stay here or move on. I said, there, there's nothing else out there. I've not been looking. And he says, all right, well, I need you to commit to me for two years because I need you to take my job when I go on sabbatical for a year. I said, okay. Well, that was around May of last year. June, July, August, September, October passed. I'm, I'm, I'm about to slide into his position. Until I get an email from the slingshot guy and says, hey, something happened at Northland. And I got online and I looked and something happened. The guy pulled out. He said, are you still interested? I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, good. I'm going to give them your resume. I said, okay. And then that's the history. See, I shouldn't be here. Because I thought I was going to go somewhere. I'd even committed, given my word. But I told him in all my defense, I said, I didn't put in for Northland after I told you, so I didn't lie. <laughs> I'm still a man of integrity here. But just know that God has me here for a purpose. And he has you here for a purpose. And it's for greater things that he still is yet to do in and through us. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.